Well, it may not look like it, but uh, growing up, I was a one-sport type of a guy. Um, I tried basketball when I was younger, uh, when I was in elementary, and I wasn't very good at it. You find out you're not very good at something when they don't put you in the game. (laughs) Aren't you supposed to rotate us? And I was one of those guys that didn't get rotated very much. Uh, the sport I loved and, and that I was decent at was soccer. That's the American word for, the, for football, which is the real, that's really what the sport is, football. The real football. And I loved soccer. Uh, and so I played soccer. I, I played it competitively uh, until I was about 20 years old. Now, one thing I didn't like very much about playing soccer was all the running you had to do. <laughs> Especially all the running you had to do in practice. I mean, running in the game is one thing, but running in practice, it just seemed like this is a lot of wasted energy. They make you run for miles. One team uh, I was on, we used to uh, practice at at, uh, Fort Marcy Park there in downtown Santa Fe area. And every practice, they would make us run up Bishop's Laws Road, which is a road that takes you up the mountain. And so we would run for miles uphill. And it just seemed like this is just torturous. I get why we did it, because in order to play well, you need to have endurance. But I didn't like it. I did like running in the game, because during the game, you have a ball that you're chasing. There's something in front of you that it makes sense to run. Or you have a competitor that you're you're running after. In other words, if you have a specific goal in mind, running makes sense. To run just to run, doesn't seem very inspiring, not to me. To, to run to accomplish something, to run to achieve something, to run to attain a goal, that is when you will run your best. I think that we understand this here at Calvary Las Vegas. I, I think as a congregation, God is, has blessed us as a congregation with uh, uh, physical prowess, specifically, athletic prowess. I was thinking about it. We have national national championship rugby players in our congregation. We have state championship wrestlers among us. We have basketball players and football players and volleyball players and marathoners and rodeo champions. This is a very impressive group of people, y'all are. And so I think we can relate to what Paul is saying in these verses because Paul, at this point in his letter, is switching up. He's making a change in the metaphor he's using, and he's pulling out one of his favorite illustrations. He's using the metaphor of running a race. That's what we're reading about here in verses 12 through 16. Now, in another letter, uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 9 of that letter, Paul uses... This metaphor also, the metaphor of running a race, but he uses it a little bit differently. He uses it there to illustrate the importance of how we run. So you're running a race, and how you run that race matters. There's rules to follow if you're going to compete in the race. In other words, if you're running along and you're punching the person next to you, that's not very fair, and you will get disqualified. So when we run, it requires that we run with discipline. The idea of being disciplined in our walk with the Lord so that we don't find ourselves disqualified in the middle of the race. The Lord going, you need to sit for a while. But here, 
In his letter to the Philippians, Paul uses the metaphor of running a race to illustrate the importance of focusing on the goal and the prize that you get for reaching that goal as we're running along. He's not so much focusing on how we run. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But he's focusing on why we're running and what we are running towards, what we're running for. Last week in verses 8 through 11, we saw that Paul explained his own personal testimony. He, He kind of shared that for him coming to know Jesus, having Jesus reveal himself to Paul became the thing that totally reshaped his life. Paul had a certain trajectory that he was on here. There was a certain race he was in, and that completely changed everything he had been living for, uh, the spiritual portfolio that he had been building up, uh, all of his efforts at at trying to to, uh, uh, make himself righteous before God. All of that suddenly became worthless to him, meaningless to him. He said it this way in verse 8. He said, Indeed, I count everything... Uh, everything he had gained in his own efforts, he, he counted as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He, he set it on the balances and said, everything that I had piled up, and he had this huge pile of what he could point to about how wonderful he was, when he set knowing Jesus on the other side, it just, that pile just fell off. It was of so much greater weight to him. And so Paul went from, going, uh, from trying to prove himself righteous to God by his pre- pedigree, his background, his personal achievements, to receiving a righteousness from God. Very different. Not trying to work anymore to gain, but receiving by grace, God's gift, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this relationship with Jesus that he then entered into was of such surpassing worth to Paul that it became the motivation for everything that he would do in his life. Like that became the underlying, it's me and Jesus now. That's what drove him. So wherever he went, he went there for Jesus. Whatever he did, he did that with Jesus. When he suffered, like he's suffering right now, he's in prison writing this letter to the Philippians, but he understands that he's suffering in fellowship with Jesus. It's not like God has abandoned him. Jesus suffered, and so Paul is entering into those sufferings as he suffers. Jesus understands that, and he's with him. And so that for Paul, anything he would go through in obedience to Christ, even death, would be worth it. Because as surely as he would die in fellowship with Jesus, he knew that the day is going to come when he's going to be raised to eternal life to be with Jesus forever. And he lives his, his life then with his eyes set on attaining that, that resurrection, a resurrection from death to life in the presence of the Lord. For Paul, he set his eyes upon that. And so it's with that in view that he then writes in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. So Paul's not saying, look, I've gotten so far along with God that I can just sit the rest out. God is ready to raise me to be with him. I don't even have to die. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not, he says it's not like that. 
Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, that little phrase right there is so important because it speaks about motivation. What's motivating Paul? There's different things that motivate us in life. Friendship motivates us. We'll do all kinds of things for our friends. Honor motivates us. We're willing to go through difficult things for the honor of it. Wealth motivates us. We we, want to get paid, and so we're willing to do the work that it takes to get that payday. Happiness motivates us. Anger is another motivator. We get angry, we get motivated to do a lot of things. Those are common motivators. But probably nothing is quite as powerful as being motivated because we're loved. Love, being loved is a powerful motivator. Husbands and wives, yes and amen, we can say that. We're willing to do things, go through things, sacrifice things, not just because we love our spouse, but because our spouse loves us. As a dad, my my goal has always been that my daughter would know that whatever pursuit she has in life, that she can do that pursuit with the knowledge that she is already unchangeably loved. In other words, she doesn't have to go after something to improve herself in order to get loved or be loved. And even if she fails, it's not going to mean that she's loved any less. She's loved by God unchangeably, and I want her to know that her mom and dad love her unchangeably as well. And for Paul... What motivates him to press on to that day of perfection, that day of resurrection, is knowing that he is unchangeably loved by Christ Jesus. For decades of his life, he had tried to earn God's love. He'd gone through every motion possible, and it was frustrating, and it was empty, and you can never do enough if you get into that cycle. But then one day, as Paul was in that cycle, trying to impress God with his his, uh, attempt to wipe out Christianity, on that day, God revealed his love to Paul. God removed the blinders, and he unveiled the depths of his love for Paul through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that resulted in Paul realizing that he didn't need to try to perfect himself, so that God would have to love him. Rather, because he is already loved by God, because Christ Jesus has already made Paul his own, then that's what motivates him to press on. That's what motivates him to run the race towards that great day of resurrection. And church, I think it's important for us to just stop there for a moment. Let's think about our own lives, our own testimony, Is that something that you understand today? That you don't need to try to get God to love you. You don't need to try to impress Him so that He'll choose you or use you. Our performance for God is not what endears us to God. God loves us of His own choice. God loves us based on who He is. 
not based on how lovable we can try to make ourselves be before him. And when you find yourself in that, that, that cycle of I've got to improve myself so that God will love me more, it's a cycle that never satisfies. God's love is unchanging because he is unchanging. And he has loved you with an everlasting love and he has displayed that love through his son Jesus on the cross. If you ever doubt, just look at Jesus. If we live our life with the approach that we have to merit or earn God's love, God's favor, then we end up frustrated and wearing ourselves out. And while... (laughs) Even worse than that, we become bitter towards God. People that that end up bitter towards God, it's usually because they've tried to do something to get God to do something for them, and that's not how it works. The gospel of Jesus teaches us something so much better. The gospel teaches us that we're actually worse off before God than we ever realized. <laughs> that our, our sin is that bad that it sets us so far apart that we're in deep, deep trouble. But the gospel also tells us that we're more loved by God than we could ever imagine. So we may be worse off than we ever knew, but we are more loved by God than we could ever imagine. And so we are not called to earn God's love. We are called instead to receive his love by putting our faith in Jesus. And this morning, I encourage you, if you haven't done that, if you find yourself in that, that, that hamster wheel of running, 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 I'm trying to, trying to get God to love me, trying to make myself better for God, just stop. Just trust in Jesus. His death on the cross, it covered all your sin. You're forgiven, and he loves you. Rest in him, not in your own efforts. It's that love. It's God's love for us that becomes the motivator for our life. That's what transformed everything for Paul, and that's what he goes on to explain in verse 13. Brothers, I I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here is that runner metaphor. Put yourself in a a stadium, if you will. It's Olympics year, even though it had to be moved to next year, so it should have had the Olympics this year. Hopefully it'll happen next year. But if you were there in one of those stadiums and, and you've got the, the running track, picture the start, of, the start of a race where you have each of the racers in their lane and they're kind of uh, 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 set out and they've got their blocks down and those racers, they get into the blocks and they get their feet set and their fingers set and then they get themselves set and then, boom, the gun goes off and they explode out of those boxes out of those blocks, and take off. And imagine if the person who exploded out of there in first place, I mean, they're just hairs ahead of the person next to them, but they're out first. If they did that and then they just stopped, 
That was the best start I have ever had. (laughs) Did you guys see that? Look, watch the screens. It's amazing. If they did that, everybody in the crowd would be yelling at them, keep going, the race isn't over. It doesn't matter how well you started. You got to keep running to the finish line, man. Go. Well, Paul is saying that's what our life as Christians is like. In verse 14, he pictures himself as as that runner who sees the finish line. And in seeing the finish line, he's running his race. He sees that finish line and he leans into it. We all have seen those photo finishes, right? Where, Where if you're not the one who just goes like that, you come in second. And Paul is saying, I'm leaning into it. When you see the finish line, that's not the time to slow down. It's like, hey, check it out. There's the finish line. Whew. I wasn't sure if I'd see that or not. That's when you give everything that you've got. You put in your final push. For the long-distance runners, they say that, you know, the first lap, you, you, you give it 80%, and then the next lap, you, you give it maybe 90%, but you hold on for that final lap. You reserve something because when you see that finish line, you need to be able to hit it hard. Well, the goal in Paul's metaphor is the finish line. And the finish line is the end of life. The end of his life. Of course, Paul didn't know when he would reach his finish line. None of us know when we're going to reach our finish line. Some of us feel like we can see it a little more clearly, maybe, than others. But for Paul, that finish line could come soon. Remember, he is in prison. He's awaiting to stand trial before Caesar Nero. And Caesar Nero, he could just say, you know, I'm tired of listening about this guy. Let's just put him to death. And so Paul says, I am going to run hard. I'm going to lean into it because I don't know. I know I could see that line. And so Paul presses on with his eyes, not just on the finish line, but he also says he sets his line his eyes pass the finish line onto the prize that awaits those that cross that line. You see, there will be prizes, awards that are given. Those awards are given, of course, to the person who wins the race or comes in second or third, but there are also prizes for people who ran the race well in the ancient races. They said, well, you didn't win, but man, you did really good. That was, here, <laughs> what do they call that? A participation prize. <laughs> Paul says that our prize, our prize, we see the finish line. We're we're pushing in for that finish line because we see beyond it that there is a prize that awaits us. Our prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, meaning that we will be brought into the very presence of God through our union with Jesus. We cross that line, that line of death, and the prize is to be raised to life in Jesus Christ and to see God face to face. Oh, that's going to be a good day. So glorious that Paul presses on with his eyes forward, looking forward to that prize, running hard. If we go back to verse 13, you'll notice that Paul does give some instructions on how we run this race. How do you, how do, you do that? How do you run hard like that? Well, you need to keep your eyes on that finish line and on the prize that awaits. 
but he describes how he's running. In verse 13, brothers, I don't, do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Notice, first of all, Paul says that he forgets what lies behind him. I think he's referring to a couple of things here. Number one, I think he's saying that he doesn't hold on to or, or keep in the forefront of his mind the things that he has counted as loss. Isn't it really hard to run when you're being weighed down by guilt of past sin, shame, those things that weigh us down? It's hard to run with them. They're like, they're like a, a heavy bag on your back. And the beauty of the gospel is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us so that we are forgiven of our sins. Our shame is removed from us. The scripture tells us that God remembers our sins no more, and so we can let them go. Paul says, I don't remember those things anymore. I don't carry those with me. I press on. Doesn't need to beat himself up about past failures. Things that are in the past are forgiven And now, in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation and we run. Notice, secondly, he's also not hanging on to new achievements in his life. (laughs) This is tempting to do. And in a one-mile race, you don't stop because you had your best quarter mile ever. Man, you don't get to a point in your Christian life where you're going, well, you know what? This is kind of, I never thought I would get to do these things, experience this. This is pretty good. I'm just going to stop here. Think we're done, Lord. Take me home. No. No, we keep going. You press on. You keep running. This this past week, I I told you I got to go uh, meet with a a dear friend, uh, a fellow pastor that that we've been buddies for 20 years. We've done ministry together for 20 years. Uh, He was down in southern New Mexico uh, and, and his ministry is up in the northwest, but Karen and I went down to hang out with him and his wife for a couple of days, and it was just so encouraging, but we, we sat there and, and we reminisced about some of the things in the past. And the temptation is to go, oh, those were the good old days. That was as good as it gets. That was so awesome what God did there. That was great. But the Lord's not done. It's like, yes, that's awesome, but let's go forward. Because he still has more. There's great things that God wants to do. Let's continue on. Those things need to encourage us to move forward, not to sit back. Notice that Paul says, secondly, he strains forward to what lies ahead. Have you ever tried to look backward while you're running? It's kind of hard to do. You tend to run sideways if you do that, or if you're like me, you trip and fall down. It slows you down. I love this explanation of this. He, he kind of summarizes it, Walter Hansen. He says, Paul's image of himself as a runner inspires passionate perseverance in the life of faith in Christ. Faith is not simply a decision in the past or a static state of existence. Faith is running a race, straining to what, towards what is ahead. 
Church, I think this is an especially important word for us today. Do any of you feel like the race we are running has drastically changed over these last six months? If you look back seven or eight months ago, it seemed like, man, we were on cruise, we were going downhill, that was great. And then it was like the rain came and we hit mud and now we're going straight uphill and this, this is not good. I feel that way. I, I have found myself looking back over my shoulders quite a few times. And I was your pastor for like two and a half months and I'm looking back and saying, those were such good days. <laughs> those were the good old days. Oh. I know that some of us have felt like if we can't have it the way it was, then we don't want it the way it is. We kind of draw our line in the sand and say, look, if it won't be like that, then I'm not going any farther. And so we'll just bow out. Just going to isolate ourselves because we don't like this. This race just got really hard, and I don't think we signed up for this. And I love you. And so I'm going to tell you that that is not okay. That's not the life that God has called us to, to stop and bow out. Sometimes in a race, we run into steep hills. Uh, I, I, my wife and I go out walking where we live in Pandaray, and there's all kinds of, of mountains and stuff and hills that we can walk up. And I've taken to challenging myself to try to lose a little bit of the collection that I have here and, and maybe go uphill a little bit more. And, you know, you look at it and you think, okay, I'm going to do that. And then you start doing it. And this is a lot steeper than I thought. And this hill goes on for like a mile and a half. I thought it was like a half a mile hill. And I'm sweating and breathing hard. And uh. Steep hills are hard to pace ourselves as we go up. But we have to remember that there's still a finish line. The finish line is still there, and there's still a prize that awaits us, whether the hill is fun to cruise down or it's really difficult. So why do we think that the better days are behind us? We only think that because we've taken our eyes off of the prize. You think you'll ever have a better day than the day that you're raised into glory? No, that day awaits. That's the best day. Better days await us. The prize is well worth the pain of the race that we're in. And so let me be blunt. <laughs> Some of you need to get back into the race. You're not done. Your race isn't over. You have not crossed the finish line. You don't get to stop. It's time. It's time to press on again, to meet once again, to, to grow together again, to share our faith with one another again, to find others to share our faith with because in these days people need to know about the hope that we have. It's time to find ways to serve again. It's time to get back up and run the race. I get it. It's a, it's a steep hill. 
but it's time. Paul, he concludes with a, a word about maturity. He says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So maturity isn't to think you've arrived. It's not a mature person who feels like they've got it all together. Maturity isn't thinking you've already run your race, so you're done. The mature person learns as they run and then applies what they've learned as they keep running towards the finish line. They keep running. Mature person also sees if someone else in the race has slipped and fallen. You guys remember that? It was a, I don't know how many Olympics ago it was, but there was a race where, I think it was, it was a, a women's race, where one of the women fell really hard. And I think she was one of the favorites. And one of the other racers stopped and went back and picked her up and walked her across that line. That's maturity. That's maturity. That's running the race. You understand what you're doing. You've made it this far. And others are stumbling. So let's take hold of them. Let's help them. Maturity is gentle with those who haven't learned the things that they've learned just yet. The Philippians are running a good race. Paul's not rebuking them. He's encouraging them. Because it's a difficult race. And they're about to face persecution. He knows that. And they're learning a lot as they're going along. And Paul wants to encourage them to keep running. It's true, sometimes we have to slow the pace down. But we don't have to stop. Let's keep running. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the encouragement that you give us uh, in these days that we're in, the race that we're running. Thank you that there is a prize beyond that finish line that is well worth every step that we take. As challenging as those steps are, as difficult as they may be, it is well worth every time we step, we put our foot down and we run. And so help us, Lord, help us to press on, to lean into it, to encourage one another as we go. Thank you, God, that it's not our strength that uh, we run this race in. It is the strength that you give us that you have blessed us with your presence in our life, with your Holy Spirit in our life. And so where we are weak, you give us strength. And this morning, Lord, we just confess there's a, there's a hundred different ways that we are weak. But we look to you to be our strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.